evening, and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, along with the Son of an Assassin, Matt Costa, and Science Advisor, Matt Moniz. Our regular co-host, Stephanie Burke, is not with us for a few weeks because uh, she welcomed the newest member of the Spooky crew to the to the family yesterday. So congratulations to her and her husband, Brendan. And... Uh, We'll try and get her back in here as quickly as we can. We are talking because about as, our world today. As you can today. tell, things will just fall apart. <laughs> See? I think she probably put some kind of curse on us probably. while she was gone. Yep. That way they will, we'll appreciate her more when she gets back. But uh, she'll take some time off, and then we'll see how things go. Maybe we'll bring her in via Skype so she can be at home. And you know that way there, if the, the baby cries and is hungry or whatever, we can say, just mute your Skype and go do what you got to do. Yeah. It's the wonder of technology. I think we may be the first paranormal show out there that has had a co-host take time off to have a baby. So, yeah, I'm 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 kind of just making that up. That's fine. I think you may be wrong. I don't, I don't know. I think I got a good chance. I, I listen to a lot of paranormal like podcasts, which I know that I stopped doing for the longest time. But you know, when John and Chad were on promoting Ghost Stalkers, I was listening to some of these different ones, and you hear in some of them like you hear the the people talking to their kids. You know, like they're they're doing the radio show, oh, and yeah, yeah. the kid will come up and be like, "Mom, I want pizza," and the mom will be like, "Shh, I'm doing my radio show." Mom, I want pizza. Shh, come on, just give me a few more minutes. I'm interviewing, you know, John Zaffis. <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's it's just kind of funny. I yeah. mean, is there ever like a, a grandfather clock that goes off in the background? No, or? I did. I don't think Billy hosts his own uh, <laughs> blog talk radio show yet. But a lot of dogs barking in the background. You get a lot of that. Yes, uh, you get a lot. You know, just a lot of. Uh, bad phone connections and things like that but hey we've got the wonder of technology at our fingertips here at wbsm so we have the opportunity to broadcast you live here and on spooky tv at spookysouthcoast.com if you are new to the show which i know a lot of you are we appreciate it thank you for tuning in we talk about the paranormal each and every saturday night and we broadcast the show oh did the camera not change or is mine frozen oh that was just you there it is. Okay, that's fine. I didn't. I didn't because we were having some trouble with it before we went on the air. I was. I was checking the uh, the Twitter feed. Actually. Nice. Are we getting some tweets? I was getting distracted. Which I'll put that up right now. Some tweets because people can actually tweet us during the show uh, using the hashtag Spooky Live. And if you go to Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, you will see what goes on in the studio. And uh, as I said, Stephanie's not here, so you got to look at us three ugly dudes for the course of the next two hours. But you can actually see what's happening here. And you can interact with us via Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. Or you can tweet to us as well at SpookySE. But we really prefer that you use the hashtag because then it's like laid out right in front of us and it shows up on the chat page at SpookyTV at SpookySouthCoast.com. That's a day late. And you can also – well, it's still, still the harvest season. <laughs> yeah. And you can also uh, listen to us on the Radio Pup app as well. So if you're going to be heading out and you want to plug your smartphone into your car stereo, you know maybe you're out for the night and you're going between places, just pop on the Radio Pup app. That's another great way to hear us and another easy way to hear us. And, of course, if you are new to the show, I should tell you that there are archives, only about, what, nine years' worth of them, and they're all on SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, if you go to our iTunes feed, the iTunes feed can only hold the most recent 100 episodes because of something that happened with our podcast server. So uh, you have to go to the RSS feed on our website to be able to access those older 
shows. We do have a little slide there on our slideshow at the top of the page that says click here to access our old archives, and it just gives you like a big RSS feed, and you have to go and find all the episodes. We apologize. I suppose we could probably hire like a team of college students to like recode that all so that it's something that you can easily click on and it's easily indexed, but <laughs> that's way more than we can do. It goes beyond our technical ability. And more than we can afford. Oh, definitely. If there's anybody out there that would like to volunteer to do that, <laughs> uh, we can certainly talk about that. We will repay you in hugs and... Um, maybe pizza. And maybe Moniz will uh, cook you some charred mammal flesh. But uh, just, just don't ask which mammal. Yeah, that's exactly right. But that's what we have to do uh, with the archives for now. And we also have some shows up on YouTube as well. When Spooky TV decides to play nice and we're able to record the show, we post it up there on YouTube. So you'll be able to check those out as well. And we're trying to, we're trying to up our game here a little bit with the production value. And by doing so, you know, we've been, we've been getting some great donations from our listeners going to GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast, giving whatever they can. And we've been able to... Purchase a couple new webcams, a new laptop, some new programs, so we're able to do a little bit of a better job with the production. I think our next purchase is going to be a GoPro, Matt Costa. What do you think? Yeah. Those are nice. So we need people to donate <laughs> so that we can get one. But it might make things go a little bit smoother. So if you want to do that, you can go to GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast. Now, I'm thinking tonight, because it was Rhode Island Comic Con today, so I was there pretty much all day. I've been, I, I get here, it's WBSM at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I host the show for three hours. And then I co-host a financial show. And then I took right off and I went to Rhode Island Comic Con. So right now I'm operating on basically whatever caffeine I'm getting from this big soda I got next door. So uh, I was thinking that, you know, we could talk about a variety of different subjects. We haven't done like a paranormal potpourri show in a while. And there's been a lot that's been going on. And there's a lot of folks out there who are tuning into the show for the first time because of ghost stalkers, uh, because of a variety of different reasons. You know, a lot of folks find us during the Halloween season just looking for paranormal podcasts. So there's a lot of people who are new to a, uh, new to the program and don't know all that much about us and our views on the paranormal. So I thought this might be a good time to kind of do a quick reset uh, and a quick step back to kind of cover some of those bases uh, for folks. And we also would welcome your questions throughout the course of the program. You can tweet them to us using the hashtag SpookyLive, or you can do the good old-fashioned method, and you can call in 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And those numbers will be open throughout the course of the show. I know that a little bit later on, Keith Johnson will pop on and join us for a bit. Uh, we spent some time with him. I spent some time with him at Rhode Island Comic Con. Matt Costa, you tried to get to Rhode Island Comic Con today. I did. I got outside. You were you were literally outside was, the yeah, convention. Yeah, I was outside, center. but I did not get in. So he, let, let's just take because there's a lot of people listening right now that were trying to get in. So let's kind of explain a little bit of what happened. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I left here at about eleven, about ten thirty, and I got to the convention center about noon because there was a traffic backup. And being the, you know, wily driver that I am, and read jerk driver that I am, but uh, I was able to kind of get around some of that traffic, and I didn't have to wait as long as many, many other people did. But there was a lot of traffic coming off uh, pretty much when you got to the India Point Park Bridge, all the way to, to 95 North, and all the way up to the exit for the convention center. Completely backed up. Right. 
Parking lot overflowing. Side streets full. Mall parking lot almost at capacity. I get in there, and I can't even move. I'm trying to get around to find, you know, because my job there is to run a couple of the panels, so I have to find where Amy Bruni is sitting, where Joe Chin's sitting. i got to find all of those people so that I know where I can grab them to, get to go to their panel, and you can't even move in there. Just a sea of humanity, wall-to-wall people. Some of them are very sweaty in revealing costumes. <laughs> so I find out Matt's on his way up there after he's done with, with his shift here. I find out he's on his way up, and I was like, all right, well, he'll be here like in, you know, even with that traffic, he'll probably be here like within an hour. It's, it's about a half an hour ride from here. Yeah, I got there pretty quickly. But yeah. it was just from the exit <laughs> to the actual convention center that was, it was all backed up. And then when you get to the convention center, you know, we didn't set up anything. I didn't think to, to set anything up for you in advance because normally you don't have the opportunity to go, you know, yeah, uh, on Saturdays. Yeah. Normally you're pretty busy. So I didn't even think to be like, all right, because they offered me, you know, they say, you know, if there's anybody else that's coming, I was like, ah. uh, I could have put either one of you guys down there, but I thought Moniz was taken off again. So I wasn't totally yeah. sure that he was home and I knew that you usually have to work. So I yeah. didn't really it think to it, it doesn't. It, it's only like 30 bucks for a ticket, too. And so you like, had cash in hand. You were ready to yep, pay ready $30 to, pay. to get into this event. You had no problem paying to get into this event. And they wouldn't take your money. No, they wouldn't. Because they couldn't take your money. Nope. Because they couldn't let anybody else in. Nobody. People who already bought tickets could not get in. They were, there was a line, a line around the convention center. Just for refunds. Well, there was a, a line for people diligently waiting for just like a few people to exit so a few people could go in. And then there was uh, there was a line at the ticket window, which was down the street at the uh, Dunkin' Donuts Center. Yeah. Um, that were just waiting for refunds. See, that's insane. <laughs> I know that. No, I've, I'm. I'm friends with Steve Perry, the organizer of the convention, and I always write stories for the newspaper about the convention. I remember interviewing him last year, and he told me that they had, I think he said 33,000 people through the doors the entire weekend last year during Comic-Con. So that's for the two days. And I can tell you that last year, Sunday was a lighter day. They're usually up against the Patriots game. Usually, because it's the first weekend in November, it's a pretty big Patriots game. Uh, so I'm imagining tomorrow will probably be a little bit slower, uh, although the Patriots are playing toward the end when Comic-Con's almost over. It's not a 1 o'clock game. But So last year, they, they were up against, a, a, I think it was a 1 o'clock Patriots game. There was uh, some other stuff going on. So it's okay. It's understandable that Sunday was going to be a little bit slower. It generally would be anyway. So if you look at 33,000 people last year, you say maybe they got eighteen to 20,000 through the door on Saturday? Yeah. Over the course of the entire day? Right. Yeah, they had 20,000 people in the building at one point today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because that's why they had to shut it down. The fire marshal was there. Right. And they had reached capacity. And they said, there's 20,000 people in this building right now. You need to close the doors and not let anybody in. And we will let you know if you can let folks in, depending on how many of them leave. If you left the convention center from that point on, they were not going to allow you back in. Because you were going to leave and somebody else was going to come in and take your place. So they had 20,000 people in there at one time, which 
I know that they've done a lot of successful conventions there before. Hell, we go to the beer festival whenever yeah. we can. And I don't I don't even know if that's a success, but it's a success for us. <laughs> because by the time we leave there, we are glad that we spent 50 bucks to get into the beer festival. Right. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the that's the thing about it. It's like that's already it, – it's guaranteed to be the biggest Rhode Island Comic Con yet. And this is probably going to be up there in terms of the numbers with some of the bigger Comic Cons. Uh, so that's huge. It's great for them. And understand, everybody that's upset, I know there's a lot of folks that are upset about it. There was a hashtag going around, wasn't there, about, uh, what was uh, it? Uh, uh, R.I. Comic-Con fail 2014. It's, I, I, uh, it's, I looked it up on Twitter. There's uh, quite a few people. Really? That, yeah. yeah. Well, we, you posted that picture of Wilfred standing <laughs> yeah. outside the convention I mean, I center. thought his costume was pretty good anyway. I saw. I took fun. a picture with him last year. I have a Did picture you? of him and I together. Nice. I, it, he could be the real Wilfred. He <laughs> looks that good. Uh, and and uh, so a lot of people are upset about this, but you have to understand it. I don't think that they knew that this was going to happen. No. I think no. they were looking at the numbers for the last couple of years and saying, "All right, you know, maybe we get a little bit. We had this much of an uptick from this year. This much from an uptick from this year." I don't think they were expecting that because I was standing there like dumbfounded. Right. Usually, like conventions are kind of like a revolving door. Yeah, people, people don't stay all day. People stick stick around for a couple hours and they take off. This or, there was definitely more cosplay there this year than I have seen in the past. Yeah, there's definitely. I saw definitely a lot more people dressed up than previous years. And there's a lot more um, entire families there, uh, which I, you know, normally you would see some kids, but there were kids everywhere today. They actually had a couple uh, Code Adams, and one of there were three Code Adams in the time that I was uh, there, and one of them was found pretty quickly, like as soon as they announced it, and I never heard an announcement that they'd found the other two. Hmm. So that was another thing that I just. Well, I can imagine with a sea of people like that. It's yeah, and, easy. and I, I don't want to speculate on this because I, I didn't talk to Steve. I didn't talk to anybody, any of the organizers, any of the people in charge about this. But I, I was speculating to some people there that the whole shutdown, you know, the whole we've reached 20,000 people. While I believe mm-hmm. it because there was an immense amount of people there, I also was wondering if maybe that shutdown wasn't because of the Code Adams. Having two kids go missing, lock the door so that they can't get out of the building. You know, uh, you know, post somebody at every and they at every quietly exit. search the building for them. right, and not alert the fact you know. But uh, from everything that I heard from staff, it was because of the numbers. Yeah. Uh, to the point where you know, if you were a guest, some of the celebrities that were there, yeah, they would you know they'd have their spouse with them or whatever, and their spouse would go to get something at the mall or you know just go walk around the mall because if you're you know I don't know William Cat's wife. I don't know that he has a wife, but I'm just saying, if you're William Cat's wife, and you go to a lot of these things, you probably get bored. So you're like, I'm going to go hit that mall. It's so nice to have a mall attached to this convention. I'm just going to go hit that mall, and I'll be back in a couple hours, and I'll have spent all the money that you'll have made here, William Cat. But, uh, and I'm sure he's like, that's fine. Go. Have fun. But then they're locked out. They can't get back in. There were guests, like legitimate celebrities who had left, yeah. and they had to come back in through the loading gate. Because they couldn't let them back into the building. So, if anything, it was all for safety's sake. Because I mean, right? I would rather that they were cutting people off and have five thousand more people than should be in there. I mean, I think uh, Rhode, Rhode Island is a little stricter than most states ever since. With like, good reason. Yeah. yeah. They don't. Uh, they don't mess around when it comes to fire laws, and they actually had you know the fire department walking around. 
and and watching everything that was going on. You know, because like you can't if you have 20,000 20, bodies walking around a building, you can't and you're selling incense, you can't be lighting those candles. Yeah, um, yeah. You can't be. I'm sorry. You know, and and so that's why I'm glad that they were being hyper vigilant uh, about everything. But it was a great time. It was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to going back tomorrow when it should be a lot more relaxed. Uh, generally, the Sundays are easier. Believe it or not, some of those people go to church. <laughs> For some of those people, that was their church. Uh, but some people will have other engagements uh, on Saturday. But still, if you want to try and go down there and get a ticket, I recommend getting there early. Uh, the doors open at 10 a.m. If you haven't purchased an early bird pass, you can't get in until 10 a.m. But I would recommend trying to go there, you know, get in line around 7.30, 8 o'clock. Because if it fills up like it did today, you might be out of luck trying to get in there. But I did, I did have a few cool experiences. I was telling you guys. And we were in the green room area, and we're sitting having dinner. I'm sitting with Joe Chin from Ghost Hunters and our friend Spirit Medium Tiffany Rice. And we are just sitting there eating, and I realize, oh, we're sitting with Michael High White or Jai White or I don't know, Matt. You always Jay. I don't know. Michael J. White. White. But we're sit- the guy who played Spawn right. in the Spawn yeah. movie. He's, he's just total badass. Black Diamond. So we're sitting there eating dinner, and he's at the table talking to a friend of his. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, look, there's Jim Beaver from Supernatural and Deadwood and, and Justified. And, oh, look who's over there. It's Nichelle Nichols and Walter Kane. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> and it was it was cool. Like, you know, as I was coming out of the men's room, I saw them wheeling Nichelle Nichols into the ladies' room. And she's like, hi, honey, how are you? And I was like, oh, my God. Uhura just said <laughs> hi to me. So it was really cool. So I'm just sitting there eating. All of a sudden, I feel somebody sit down in the seat directly next to me. And I turn and I look, and there's George Takei signing an autograph for somebody. He had to just sign this poster that they had uh, promised to somebody, and then he was moving on his way. That was super cool. Even for that brief second, Joe Chin got up and shook his hand. And so that was, you know, I just was like, well, at least I had like a little celebrity brush for the weekend. And then uh, Tiffany Rice introduced me to her friend Scott Wilson, who plays Herschel on The Walking Dead. So that was cool to get the chance. He was just a nice guy in the brief time that I got to talk to him. So, you know, it's, and that's what this, these kind of shows are about, the chance to get up and hobnob with folks. Matt Costa, I know that you have gone around and collected audio from some of them at some of the shows. Yep. And they all seem, most of them seem very willing yeah, yeah. They're, to give you a couple minutes of their time. For the most part, they're very approachable. I mean, it's just changed so much in just a couple of years that I've been doing it. Uh, because if you go to... One of these conventions, you used to be able to like just walk down the aisle and like snap pictures of the celebrities, like signing autographs. Can't do that anymore. Oh, For yeah. one, you got to keep moving because people are trying to get through and you can't stop. And two, they will charge you for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of them have a sign up that's like, you know, if you want to snap a picture of me, it's ten dollars. Yeah, it's ten bucks. So I heard um, uh, Shatner was seventy five for an autograph. Yeah, I don't know. Or, uh, I don't know like. I don't know what the prices were. I didn't look up the prices for him. I didn't even get near the area where he was sitting. Um, I did find out later that that you know where I was sitting in the green room that was kind of behind that area. Uh, but when he was out there and they had the guys from Sons of Anarchy out there and all, you couldn't get near where they were sitting. Yeah. So there's uh, you know there's a chance that maybe I'll get a chance to, to say hello to him. I walked by the Sons of Anarchy guys in the hallway. I walked by some of the wrestlers in the hallway. You know, everybody's always nice enough, but you're not going to get a chance to have a 
long, in-depth conversation with any of them because there's a line. People are waiting. Everybody wants to have a, moment, a chance to say hi. Right. But uh, it was definitely, definitely fun. Especially with 20,000 people, you're not going to get too much time alone. Yeah, but you can't even get time alone with the people that you came in with, <laughs> right. let alone the celebrities. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if um, I, I don't know exactly what the schedule is for tomorrow. But I know that George Takei is only there for a certain amount of time. While William Shatner is only there for a certain amount of time. Go to ricomicon.com and you can find out all the information about that. Uh, but it has been a while. I had mentioned before since we've kicked around a bunch of paranormal topics. And one of the questions that has come up this week uh, quite a bit, because, of course, as I mentioned earlier, with Ghost Stalkers and all the uh, tweeting that's been going on, all the social media, some of the reviews, some of the articles people have written about the show, one of the questions that's come up quite a bit is about portals. Because that's what the predominant theory is on Ghost Stalkers, is that where there's a lot of paranormal activity, that may be because there is a portal, a doorway from one world, from one dimension to another. And if you go in and search of those portals, then you can maybe find a little bit of a thinning of the veil, a place where you can go back and forth. And I remember telling you the whole concept of the show, Moniz, like when it was about to come out. Yeah. I didn't ask your opinion about what you think about the concept of portals. Well, I, I think it's actually a viable idea because I know that energy will form its own little eddies and currents and what you, what you may call portals because it transfers from one state to others. And I don't see why not. It may What you may be looking at is um, a natural phenomenon that allows other things to happen in between. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I... I when they first started talking about it, and I was trying to wrap my head around the concept of it, and I was like, you know, I've always felt like there's a reason why certain places have a lot of activity, but I didn't think that that could be the reason. I thought it was more something man-made, something that we were doing by going in there and having these experiences and, and contributing the human experience to it uh, that I didn't realize. And I think, I think I just saw Keith Johnson calling in, so Keith, feel free to call back in uh, any time. Uh, but... The uh, the issue that I had with it was I, I didn't think that it was something that could be natural. I thought there had to be a human factor to it. And I thought that that would get lost in the pursuit of portals for a television show. And that hasn't been the case at all. Uh, especially you hear John Tenney talking about it. He feels like, you know, it's a very key part of it is to have the human element, that these portals might exist but they might not have a reason to exist if not for a human there to observe them and to, to experience what's coming through them. So I don't know. The, the funny part about it is there's a lot of theory out there. And, and the more that I read about it, you know, you hear Dave Rountree talk on the show about the Einstein-Rosen Bridge and that yeah. basically these are just, you know, the same wormhole that you think you have in space is the same thing that you have here on Earth in the creation of this portal. Well, so, that's what I was getting to with the energy. Energy will change various states, and it goes from one to another to another, and it creates these little portals, like when you're saying, when it tra- transforms. You know, things will go from particle to wave. And I, well, yeah. the, I'm starting to think that there isn't the – and we'll, we can pick this up a little bit later. Let's, I don't want to keep Keith waiting too long. I, I know that he's had a long day, but uh, I, I'm thinking that – there's probably a lot more of these portals 
on Earth that aren't just about spirits moving back and forth. I think he just dropped off again. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I think we're having paranormal phone troubles. Either that or he's not hearing you know, what's coming through uh, while he's on hold. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of even small little things like gravity hills where things go up when they should go down. Well, the thing about gravity hills is they're actually an optical illusion. It's not that something is actually traveling up against gravity. It's the angles at which you're looking at it gives the illusion of going. But those areas have reported fluctuations of electromagnetic activity. They have these, you know, electronic devices will go screwy in them, even though it is something that's just in our brain. Is it us affecting it because we think that there's something there? Is it, uh, is it our own brain manipulating it? Uh, we can pick that up. I just want to talk to Keith here. Okay. I assume that that's him. Uh, good evening. Is this you, Keith? Oh, uh, how about I put up the slider? <laughs> how are you? Sorry we were uh, keeping you waiting there a bit. That's all right. No problem. We won't we won't keep you too long because I know that you've had a long day and you've got another long day ahead of you tomorrow uh, because you, you might be one of the few people that can actually get back into the convention center tomorrow. Yes, well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope to. <laughs> After all the people that came through today. Uh, but I noticed that a lot of folks were coming up to you and, and talking to you during the course of, of the convention today and sharing their own personal stories, their own personal experiences, and yeah. going out there and giving talks all the time and, and meeting people, it's probably a lot different for you because you're hearing stories from people that you can tell when you look at them. It's something a little bit more than just the same run-of-the-mill paranormal experiences that we might hear about. Yes. Yes, quite often it is. Um, they don't just uh, tell about their spooky experiences. Sometimes it gets down to things that are very, very meaningful to them, sometimes very, very disturbing, um, or sometimes just very, very heart-wrenching because they talk about uh, family members who have passed on and are contacting them or they think they're contacting them and they want validation for that. Um, some are having uh, feelings of oppression, like something has attached. I've been getting that a lot lately, actually, people coming to me and telling them, me that they've uh, been on an investigation and uh, they feel that the, something has attached itself to them, a hitchhiker, so to speak, and uh, has followed them home and now they're feeling that something is really sharing their lives with them and kind of almost like uh, disturbing them in a parasitic manner. Yes, we do get a lot of that. Do you look at the way that society is and see similarities in... Uh, just our own modern culture, our own modern society, and a rise in those in those type of cases and a rise of that type of activity? Yes. Yeah, it does seem to be happening more and more uh, that we get these um, requests for help and people sharing their stories about these experiences they've had. And I don't know, it seems to be a combination of things. What with the media attention that all this is getting now, people are so much less hesitant to talk about this than they were, say, uh, 10, 15 years ago. And also the activity itself seems to be on the rise. Now, that may be a sign of our times and because, again, of mass communication and media. But for whatever reason, it does seem to be on the rise, and we're hearing these stories more and more frequently as people come up to us. Is there something, then, that we as people need to do uh, you know, to protect ourselves, is there some way that we can stem that tide or even reverse that trend a a as human beings? Can can we push back the evil? I think I think we can 
you know, and there's an old saying that uh, evil as a whole cannot be conquered, uh, only evil within oneself. And I think that's true within and without oneself, that you can form a protective shell over yourself, whether that's um, through prayer, which, of course, Sandra and I do, prayer and supplication, uh, but, you know, just being in a very, very positive uh, manner that you're not going to allow anything to follow you, take that mindset and that you're going into a, a location for an altruistic matter, whether it's uh, to help somebody or just to explore the wonders of our world, uh, but just, you know, you're making it plain, you're not going to allow anything to attach itself to you, and you're just too strong and powerful positive for that and um, especially somebody who's who's sensitive who's psychic uh, you know who may be vulnerable to these things and they don't have quite control of it and I know for example uh, Tiffany Rice for example had to learn to ground herself um, Stephanie and and um, they had to learn to ground themselves because they were receiving all this information from unseen sources it would just come to them and uh, suddenly they're being overwhelmed so it can be a very, very frightening and unnerving experience for those who have not learned to protect themselves. But for the, you know, the regular person, the average person, um, like myself, who's not necessarily uh, that psychically sensitive, uh, to form a shell or a wall over yourself, just like you would with people who sometimes seem to be draining you, um, in a, sometimes unintentionally, uh, not necessarily a psychic vampire, but somebody who's just, you know, feeding off of you unintentionally a lot of the times. Just put that wall between you, and you can do that on a um, spiritual, psychic level as well. And so just um, whether it's through prayer or just deciding that this is not going to happen to you, I think people do need to take that protection when they're going into, especially when they're going to a place that has a reputation for uh, paranormal occurrences. I think that a lot of folks are looking at, uh, you, you know, television, and they look at not only and not only just the the, the ghost hunting TV shows, but just uh, the general perceived badassery of people on television in general. And then you see a lot of these horror movies that have come out where you know people are are standing up to to evil forces and negative forces. And I think people are uh, feeling like if they just put on that face when they go and they face evil, uh, when they go and they face something negative, that that's going to be enough, that that strength is enough to get the job done. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know that it's it's not. I mean, I, I would avoid cases like that uh, intentionally because I know that I'm not spiritually strong enough to take it on. Well, there's also things you'll go into a certain place, but some, peop- some people, for whatever reason, will be singled out. And um, they're going to pick on you tonight. Uh, they're going to hone in on you. And I, I think you remember that, Tim, from your experiences with the Lizzie Borden house whenever you oh, went through yeah. it. Yep. And uh, it doesn't take much to make yourself right. a target there. <laughs> Here he comes again. They, they've got your number whenever you step into that place. Yeah, well, but that's one of those things. Like, I, I'm not somebody who protects myself. I kind of go around with a general motto uh, in my head that, Nothing's going to follow me, and and nothing's going to give me any problems. And you know, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and it's not going to follow me home. So I don't really worry too much about that. But I also will take people to places, especially with Legend yeah. Trips events, and I will tell them, listen, that works for me. I can't guarantee it's going to work for you. So if uh, right. saying a little prayer or saying a little protection chant or something like that 
will make you feel better, then you absolutely 100% have to do it. Right. Also, when you're leaving a location, and I know Matt Moniz has had uh, quite a few experiences with that from uh, a variety of um, otherworldly beings, so to speak, where (laughs) he has to kind of ground himself because he knows he's being trailed by human and non-human entities. Yep. (laughs) Definitely yep there. Is there anything now in all the cases that you've had over the years and, and everything that you've uh, taken on, was there anything that left you shaken afterwards, anything that actually made you question your faith? There have been, been situations where it's been, it's been kind of long-term, and you wonder why this, is, why this is happening. And, of course, you know, there's a tendency to say, why me, God? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just a natural tendency. But um, there is... You know, when you look in retrospect, there is usually a reason, and there is, out of all this chaos, comes some good. You may not always recognize it right away, but uh, some good is done, and some people are touched, and it's amazing. Sometimes you, with a, you know, a few words in the right place, you've made a difference in somebody's life, and you didn't even realize that. So, uh, I mean, if there are the benefits that knowing you, you can help some people, even if it's just just by listening to somebody who nobody else will listen to because they've got a bizarre tale of some entity attaching itself to them. So that's, you know, try to make a difference in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. Uh, I mean, I know it's different for you because you're out there working in these private cases and you're out there taking uh, these, you know, taking these challenges on and dealing with the folks on a one-on-one basis. But I have people all the time that will email me and say, listen, I'm having a problem. Uh, this is going on, and I need to have it checked out. And I always refer them to someone like yourself or you know, another team, depending on where they live, because I know that I can't be that support system that people mm-hmm. need. And, and, and in order to do what you do especially, I mean, any paranormal investigator uh, that wants to go and help counsel or investigate for uh, an individual, for a family, should have the ability to stay involved even after the investigation is over. But it must be even more so for you because you've got to be, in addition to being a paranormal investigator, a demonologist, you have to be, uh, you know, uh, a clergyman in a sense, and you have to be a a counselor, and you have to be somebody who is there for them not only as a, a, uh, you know, just a mental counselor, but also as a spiritual counselor as well. Yes, yes, and... um you know, it does uh, pull you in all different directions. And like I've said before, it's, um, if you're in the mental health field or any, any kind of, um, uh, whether you're a clinical counselor or a psychologist, psychoanalyst, um, psychiatrist, anybody in the mental health field has to have an analyst themselves. They have to be regularly analyzed to make sure that they're not, um, not taking on the psychosis of some of the people they deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we in that do this, we really don't have anybody but each other. So that's why we've got to be out to support each other. And um, I know some some people that are very heavily involved in the work, as we call it. I have a couple of close friends that uh, recent, a few of them that are recently having a very very bad time and uh, sinking, you know, into depression. And of course, you know, I've dealt with that. I'm sure most of us have in uh, some form or another. So we really need that support and um, to network as well because we tend to get overextended, I'm sure, as you know. And um, 
anybody that you have, a lot of people contacting you. You, you need to network with other people so um, it won't be just you, especially if they're halfway across the country or halfway across the world. You've got to have other people that they can uh, relate to as well. There has been an influx, of course, and we've talked about this in the past, of paranormal investigators. Uh, there's been an influx of people who think that they can be demonologists. And I've been looking, you know, for the last, I don't know, six months or so at the paranormal field as a whole and seeing some of the folks that are involved in it. And I've started to become worried, worried not only about the fact that they are, uh, you know, a lot of folks are jumping into things without enough background, without enough research, but there are people who... I'm not sure are sane enough to be helping people that may not be sane. You know, they're oh, yeah. taking on these cases that could be just a matter of someone's own psychosis, and and as you mentioned, they're ready to jump right in and play right along with that instead they of being become codependent. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and and it happens, and I'm sure you've seen it where you know the paranormal investigator becomes almost like like going to see a psychic too many times, or or, or going to see the chiropractor even when you don't need to because it makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's exactly it, and you know, people do become, like Matt said, codependent. And um, of course, you've got people that uh, have the abduction experience too. Uh, they've lost time. They feel that, that something is taking over them, or taking over their time, taking over their body, and uh, things they can't account for. And I, I know Matt's dealt with that extensively too, and, and experienced these things himself. So. Um, you get the whole whole gambit of this, uh, but a lot of people, you're absolutely right. A lot of people have uh, been coming to us and telling telling us they have an attachment. Something is with them. Um, it's bothering them. They've gone to this haunted location and now something has followed them. And uh, how do I get rid of it? So. Well, I've learned that uh, when you're dealing with abductees, a lot of them have gotten together and formed their own like self-help groups you know they 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 lean on each other with experiences Mm -hmm. have you thought about setting up groups like that for people that have had you know really negative paranormal experiences actually i actually i've tried i've actually tried to do that it's um it's very difficult it's um it's amounted to like there's a few of us that keep in contact with each other and just joke around and and just, you know, release our anxieties, talk with each other. But an actual support group, I would like to actually see that really, really happen. Uh, there's no official support groups that uh, I'm involved with. Uh, it's just calling friends and keeping in touch through emails. You know, and, I'm, and I'm experiencing this. I'm feeling terribly low. And uh, I've seen a lot of that lately. It's catching up with people and um, catches up with me, too. So, uh the more people can communicate this, these experiences, like a support group, I think the better that would be. Well, you can make it virtual. You don't actually physically have to get together. You can start a forum, you know, on a mm-hmm. computer, and it, at least it's a start. And then there, if people want to get together later on, then you can start doing There's, there's been like a few. I mean, I've, I've seen a few. I've participated with a few. Uh, I know Jeanette Osborne, our yeah. friend Jeanette, was, was working on a lot of that type of stuff, too. Uh, but Keith's right. It's hard to get people to come across. The only the, the closest thing I've seen to to having a support system for people that want to share negative experiences is the TV series A Haunting. You know, it's yeah. a chance for yeah. everybody to kind of get it off their chest. People that want to capitalize on it. Well, right. but at the same right. time, it's also like a catharsis for them too right. to be able to tell their story and to see like I'm not the only one that goes through this. 
Yeah, right, right, exactly, because that's the that's the one of the real dangers of it. When people start feeling isolated, they feel isolated, they're overwhelmed, and you know who can relate to me? You know, if I tell somebody, they're going to just laugh at me or think I'm crazy. And uh, first, um, first paranormal case we actually worked on way back in the you know early '70s. That's the first heard from a client after she told her stories. So do you think I'm crazy? And you know, heard that many times since. Mm-hmm. We and, still we still hear it today in a climate when yeah. we probably are. Can, it's probably the most open climate to discuss uh, paranormal phenomena since uh, the spiritualism era. But still, people yeah. will lead off the discussion with that statement. Mm-hmm. This is very true, very true. So, um, it, you know, we see many cries for help, and uh, we try to help where we can. And um, none of us claim to be professionals, and uh, you know, it's not a professional field. It's just. It's doing what you can to help by the grace of God, in my opinion. Well, we only have about a minute left uh, before we have to take a break for the news, and, and we'll let you go to get some rest for tomorrow. But uh, what, what, what can people uh, follow along with you on? I know that the, the books are for sale, and, and the show yeah. is still going strong. Ghosts are near. Yes, yeah. And uh, anybody wants to come by our table and, and chat, uh, come on by. And, of course, we have... Uh, Amy Bruni and Joe Chen and Tiffany Rice, we're all on the same row there. So why don't you just uh, come down to us and say hi. And um, Linda Blair's, of course, uh, right across from us on the other side. She's kind of busy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, anybody who wants to just come down and, and chat with us, that's, um, that we welcome that. And we look forward to talking with you and meeting you there. All right. Well, we will see you tomorrow. And we'll look forward to that, Tim, for all sure. Right. Have a great night. Get some rest. Thanks. Take care, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. That is uh, Keith Johnson, demonologist and co-founder of NEAR, along with his wife, Sandra Johnson, New England Anomalies Research. You can check them out at nearparanormal.com. Watch their show, Ghosts Are Near, as well. You can catch it online. Uh, and really, it, it's a fascinating look into is somebody taking the experience, the wealth of experience that Keith has, and applying it to a lot of the modern approaches to the paranormal. It's, uh, it's a great program, a great series, and his books, of course, Paranormal Realities. Check those out as well. We'll be back in a bit with more Spooky South Coast. Welcome back. Hour number two. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Stephanie Burke, of course, is off for the next few weeks because of the new member of the Spooky Crew. Congratulations again to her and Brendan, her husband. And uh, we may hear from her a little bit if she's still awake. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think we have a call on the line. Before we get to that call, I just want to say, like, if only people could have heard the conversation that we were having during the news break there. The the more tired that I feel, I think the more this show is going to go down the crapper. Nice. So, I love which, those shows. Those shows always <laughs> they get a lot of downloads. I yeah, don't know why. It's a good time. People are like, you can slowly hear his descent into madness, which is fine. But uh, if you would like to call in at any point during the show, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. We also encourage you to tweet us. Uh, on Twitter, we are at SpookySC. You can also follow me personally, at Tim Weisberg. You can follow Matt Costa personally, at Smoking Monkeys. 
And you can follow Stephanie Burke at sburke910. Those are all on our bios. Monies, we, we will get them to start tweeting. If only during the course of the put, show. Put it this way. I may get a Twitter account for the show, yes. but Yeah. I mean, we're not expecting you to tweet all the time, you know, all day long. But you might find that you enjoy it. You might find that it's an easy way to answer questions that people might have, and uh, it's an easy Twitter, way to interact. Twitter's a lot less personal than, like, other right. social media networks. So it's like talking to uh, a crowd full, full of people that, like, I don't know, and hope, like, somebody's listening. And you only have 140 characters to do it, right. so it's a, it's a lot easier. You know, it's just it's a good way to, to interact with people and, and as I mentioned, uh, to answer questions. So if anybody ever had a question for Moniz, that would be your chance. So maybe maybe before he leaves tonight, we'll at least get him set up with one. Maybe next then, week. Then he can mess around with it. Well, then you'll have the whole week to play with it to see what you think. Uh, but at least you'll be able to tweet during the show and, and just interact with people using the hashtag SpookyLive. So if anybody has a question for you, then... You would be able to uh, answer it there. But, uh, yeah, we encourage you to use that. Uh, and, of course, all throughout the course of the week, you can reach us at SpookySC. But we keep the Spooky Live hashtag going uh, on Saturday night so that you can interact with us. And I want to thank everybody out there who has been doing that. And I want to thank all the new people who have discovered the show over recent weeks. Of course, every year at Halloween time, we gain some new followers, some new fans. And we're always happy to have you on board. The, the fun part is sticking with us for the entire year because you never know where we're going to go. You never know what topics we're going to cover. Moniz and I were talking before the show about some UFO topics that we want to cover going forward. Some of these guests that you won't hear doing other radio shows, we're going to try and get them here on the Spooky South Coast Airwaves. We're going to take things to different levels, to different approaches. I think anybody can put on it. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say anybody can put on a show. But because we see it time and time again, when people try to and they don't really do a very good job, we try to be just the avatar for you, the audience. We're here to just ask the questions and push the buttons, and hopefully, it's what you want to hear the guests talk about. But a lot of shows fall into the trap of just having somebody come on and say, "Okay, well, tell us about some of your investigations. You're a paranormal investigator. Tell us about your investigations." What got you into the paranormal? And that's a lot of times that's question one. And it's there's a way to kind of find that information out without having to lead off with it. You don't have to go chronologically with somebody, but we're we're trying to just as like what you know I've said this before, and we said it during the episode that we dedicated to ghost stalkers. We're, with ghost stalkers, we're trying to elevate the discussion about why there are ghosts. We know that there are ghosts. Now we're trying to figure out the why and the how. And that's what we've always tried to do here on Spooky South Coast is elevate the discussion. We've always said okay. Let's go into this with the assumption of we don't need to convince our audience. Our audience is tuning into us because they at least will allow for the possibility that ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, all this stuff is real and exists. But now we can explore and figure out why, how, why does this occur, how is it related. And we're going to start bringing on some guests that will help answer some of those questions and hopefully – You'll uh, join us for the ride as well. But we were talking before about the idea of portals, and I mentioned how I feel like it could kind of be, you know, we always talk about, like, the Bridgewater Triangle. We talk about the Bermuda Triangle. We talk about all these weird places where all different types of phenomena takes place, not just limited to one type. And I wonder if that effect doesn't weigh on us in other places as well. Like, you know... 
how many times have you been driving down a road? And I, I'm not going to get into the concept of lost time in terms of abductees, no. but you will get, you'll be, you know, because that's a, an extreme example, but you'll be driving down a road and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, wow, I made it this far already. I didn't realize I was here already. You know, is that, is there some kind of a, a, a portal there that we're going through where our, and it doesn't have to be a physical, like point A to point B type of portal. It can be some sort of, transportation of our consciousness, if that makes sense, where, you know, for a brief period of time, we're not there. For a brief period of time, we're somewhere else. And we... Why, come, does, why does it have to be the place? Why can't it be the person? Well, it could, I mean, it could be either way. I mean, it could be... But there's some sort of factor that... Like absent-mindedness, you know, daydreaming, it might be something more than that. It might be a transportation of that consciousness, and then when you're like, oh, wait, it, it's almost like a crashing back to reality. Uh, you know, these, these are the type of things I think about when I'm laying awake at night, trying to fall asleep. But, I mean, that's something that I've been given a lot of thought to. There's a lot of things within the human experience, a lot of events that happen to us as being people that we take for granted that could play into a lot of what it is that we discuss here. I mean, you've, we've done shows where we've said whether or not, you know, there's such a thing as coincidence, whether there's such a thing as deja vu. Are these, you know, a, gl- a glitch in the matrix? Yeah. I'll make the joke before Matt Costa can, but are these things that are, what's the word I want to use for this? Are they afflictions to us? Are they like... Uh, you, you know, is having deja vu a, a bad thing? Is it uh, like, oh, wait, I, I shouldn't say a bad thing, but is, that, is having deja vu kind of like a... A negative? That, that's, you know what I mean, but not, you, you're, you, I see you're picking up what I'm dropping yeah. down. But it's not, it's not a, a negative per se, but it's just kind of like a... a, a hmm. English has many, many words to describe things. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the way – we're looking at it as kind of like not, – not a bad thing that it happened, but almost like a malady that, it, that took place. You know, almost like it was a, a, a misstep, like, like we're apologetic for it. Oh, whoop, deja vu. You know, like, sorry, I had a moment of deja vu there. But what if having that moment of deja vu is a transportation to another place, a, a transportation of that consciousness? excusatory. Right. We're trying to, to make it seem like it, it shouldn't have happened and explain a way that it did happen. Right. You're creating excuses. Oh, I'm sorry about the yeah. – I oh, gotcha. But are we uh, – at that moment, are we transcending and then limiting it by making it into a negative, making it into something that we wished hadn't happened? I don't know. These, like I said, I've been thinking about this stuff a lot more lately. Uh, I've been uh, I've been answering a lot of people's questions about what I think ghosts are, and what I think, you know, time travel is, paranormal experiences, any of this stuff. What I think that it is, and I've always felt like our minds play a huge part in it. Well, it's our minds that are perceiving it, and that perception of it is what makes it real. Exactly. So if you, I mean, we can go out tonight. Well, not tonight because it's raining. But we can go out, you know, outside and take 
quantifiable, quantifiable, measurable data of everything that's going on out there in terms of you know the barometric pressure, the wind speed, temperature, temperature, all. all that stuff. We can get all that, and that's all stuff that we can't see. That's stuff that we can feel. That's stuff that we can experience. But it's not something uh, you know. You're not necessarily going to be able to hold your hand open and show Matt. Look, here's cold. You know, so we have the ability to go out and experience it, and we take that and we accept it. But part of that is only because we're perceiving that. Cold isn't cold to other creatures. If you walk outside and it's 35 degrees, you're freezing. If you walk outside and it's 35 degrees and you're a polar bear, you don't give a crap. Yeah. So it's all in kind of the perception of who it is that's perceiving it. And so that's why I think that maybe it's a lot of the same thing. We can't perceive uh, – we, we can't – I'm sorry, we can't study and measure ghosts. As much as people have tried to and have done it, we're never going to be able to 100% all the time measure it with the attempts that we're trying to measure it with. Well, given that we just had Halloween here, I'm going to quote Morticia Adams. Perception is relative. What is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. So it all depends upon who you are and where you are in in this thing that you're talking about. Kind of my long-winded explanation to this is, and I've said this before, we're not going to use physics. We're not going to be able to use hard science to be able to prove the existence of ghosts. It's not going to happen. I don't think so. I know that you'll disagree with me because you've been using it and, and applying it to it for a number of years. We'll be able to measure what happens, and we'll be able to explain, you know, that this is why this measurement happens. This is what, but I think you're right. I think the the meat of it, its meaning, will not be explained by science. It's just its effects that we'll be able to basically gather the data on. I might sound a little bit like I'm. Uh, like talking in circles a bit here, but I'll ask you this. If we can't define what it is by the measures of our current understanding of science, why can't we redefine our understanding of science to accept for what it is? (laughs) It's funny because science does that in a whole bunch of other... That's what bothers me about it, is if all of a sudden, you know, they discovered some particle that they didn't realize existed. The Higgs boson? Yeah. (laughs) They would exactly, they would do exactly, they would say, okay, hold on, let's rethink this now. Well, if you go back to the miracle year when Einstein wrote his famous four papers, that changed science overnight, okay? What you're looking for is that same kind of paradigm shift to happen in this, in our current state. And in order to have that, we have to have a number of different things happen in, in the science industry. And it's slowly happening, believe it or not, with um, uh, a lot of the quantum mechanics and quantum mm-hmm. physics. So, yeah. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I've always said my opinion is that a ghost isn't a physical manifestation of anything. No, but it's it an emotional. Effect, well, it also affects things in a physical state. Right. Well, I'm sure, but so does an emotion. So doesn't, you know, you can have the same type of, uh, you know, if, 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 if you and I get into a fight, uh, we have an argument right here and Matt comes into the room, you know, he's going to feel that tension. He's going to feel you know, the hair on the back of his neck will stand up. He's going to be like, he's going to bristle at coming into this room because it's going to be uncomfortable for him. Well, that... 
Okay, let's take science to explain that. What is what is he doing? He's picking up cues from what's going on. Sound, sight, and uh, all of his other senses are picking things up. And that's telling him that this is what's happening. But there's that other sense of, you know, what I think is the actual sixth sense of human beings uh, is emotion and the ability to, to process that. Well, emotions is are written on our face and our body posture. But you, I mean, I guess... You know, I, I don't mean to use feel as isn't the tactile, you know, one of the five senses uh, version of it. But you can just know you have a knowing when you go into a place, certain feelings, certain factors. You can know that when you go into, uh, you know, we say it all the time. We go into haunted places and we can just feel right. that they're haunted. We can feel its activity. <clears throat> but you can walk into a nursing home that you've never been to before and you can walk in and say to yourself, I know that these people are not treated right. I can feel it. It's palpable. Before you even lay eyes on a patient, you walk in and you say, uh, this isn't a good place. Or you can walk into one where it's the opposite and walk in and say, wow, this feels like a great place. You know, So it's, it's, just, it's something that you experience and it's an emotional connection uh, that really uh, there's side effects of it that can be quantified and studied and recorded. But there's no way to actually do that to the sensation that you feel. And maybe that sensation is that where a lot of stuff personal sensation, lies. yeah. It's hard to quote-unquote quantify in a scientific state. I can measure your galvanic response on your skin. I can measure your heart rate, your breathing rate, and several other things. But the, how can I take down your feeling of fear? Mm-hmm. There, there's no machine that's really going to record that. And fear for me, it will be different from fear for you. Right. So then ghost for me can be different than ghost for you. And it can explain why you can bring somebody who says that they've never had a good paranormal experience to a place where everybody swears that things are happening and nothing happens to that person. Because it's a different perception for them of what's happening. True. I, I mean, mean, I know it sounds. It's, it kind of sounds like I'm using it as a cop out too. No, I understand where you're going. I mean, everybody is different, but there are going to be certain salient little points that that are going to be the same in a lot of people, you know, physically as well as um, as you're saying emotionally. Mm-hmm. Physically, somebody that is experiencing one thing will all share the same, you know, type of heart rate response. You know, your heart beats faster because something spooks you. You know, it's an adrenaline dump causing your heart to beat faster and this and that. That We know that those processes exist. What triggers that, That gets that's where things get a little bit muddied. I'm going to turn this on to Matt Cosser for a moment because when we started doing this show, you know, uh, in, in January of 2006, we were not paranormal investigators. We had gone out and we had done one investigation. Right. And uh, it was kind of a failure yeah, we <laughs> to didn't, some degree. We didn't know what we were doing. Right. Uh, we still kind of don't. That's true. <laughs> we still fumble around in the Which dark. Is good. But that's Which okay is good. because, yeah, we, we're constantly we, learning. You guys have gotten. We're learning. You know, to become very good investigators, in my opinion. Well, you, you come up with some out of the out of the box type of thinking that I find refreshing. Well, I mean, that's kind of the the thing, though, is like I've never found any one thing that is going to be uh, applicable in all situations. So you have to adapt and you have to be willing to try new things. And 
whatever. I mean, and especially like with legend trips, like if we go to a place and we try something, we're trying it because we need to have something different. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't take the same people on events all the time and keep using the same methods because you're also providing them with what should be an education and, and, and a way to try new theories themselves. So that causes you to need to adapt in the theories that you have. You know, if, if every Legend Trips event that we did was different people and we never had repeat customers, then we could just try the same experiments in different places and see, like a paranormal team would do, if taking that same approach at different locations gives you the same type of measurements. We can't do that. Uh, because we have a lot of the same people, so right. we try and be innovative with what we do, which also can help you, you know, figure out the bigger picture. Well, there's a different types of investigations. You have what I'll call clinical, where you're using the same methodology that you've set forth. You know, if you're going to do this in a scientific manner, following your SOPs and this and that, and following your procedures, your clinical investigations, where you're using. You know, science is your base. Then you have basically investigatory type of um, encounters where you're you're exploring. You're you're doing things in uh, random manners, trying to trying to pick up you know responses, which is still has some basis in science, but it's it's not locked down. And the exploratory, as far as I'm concerned, it's a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. But, and it generates data, but it's not like the clinical where people, if you're looking for the proof of, you know, the, being an X, Y, and Z, all of these patterns have been followed and all the I's dotted, T's crossed. It's it's not as fun, I guess, on things like listen trips because then it becomes more boring. Well, but not only that, it's if, if you're not doing it out in the field and you're not able to come up with that, then how are we going to come up with it with a group of people? Right. Uh, but I, And that's why I think like a lot of people in this field are like, well, this is a science. You know, We take a scientific approach. We, I think we should kind of drop the science aspect of a lot of what we do in paranormal investigation. And you, you said it right there, investigatory. Don't look at yourself as a scientist. Look at yourself as a detective. Right. Look at yourself as trying to uh, figure out not a, a a theory that ghosts are real and you can prove it, but look at it more as a way of operating on a hunch and and trying to solve a case. You know, and and coming up with because if you're going to solve a case, it doesn't have to be 100 percent actual factual data that drives you along the way. You can operate on a hunch and see where that takes you and see where that leads you. And it's actually a lot easier for people to digest in that manner, I, I think. And I, I think a lot of us do that as investigators and don't even realize it. Like you will see uh, a paranormal team will say, well, when we go into this location, we do like a good cop, bad cop, where this guy will come in and be like, hey, love and light, I love you guys. Come on out and talk to me. Let's see. And then the next guy will come in and be like, I want you to come out and talk to me right now. So you have you know the good cop bad cop approach. I don't know about you, but in the times that you've been doing you know uh, research as an analytical chemist, I can't imagine that two of you were ever standing side by side playing good cop bad cop with you know the next wonder drug, where you're like you know you're talking to the slime from Ghostbusters too. <laughs> that actually happens far more often. Than <laughs> well, that's because like you guys <laughs> are trying the pharmaceuticals before you uh, send them out. But but you know what I'm saying, like you know. It, it, that's just a different mindset and a different approach that I, I don't think always applies. I don't think that the scientific method 
can always apply to what goes on in the paranormal. Because otherwise we would have already found the answer, I would think. Well, boy, this gets difficult. Because it's one of these things that, number one, you can't get all of the sciences to agree on how to approach it because the stigma that's attached to it. We can write a number of different protocols, Mm -hmm. but you're always going to have somebody that's going to, well, you you have this in all the other sciences too, for that matter, but what separates this stuff from the other stuff that other scientists do has to do with money. I'm sorry to say, long and short of it comes down to money. Right. Nobody's uh, nobody's nobody's doing the science for the love of doing the science, science anymore. anymore. No, it's, it's all what they can get nobody, out of. You know, nobody's Copernicus just looking out the window. It's it's more of a matter. And you know, and it's funny because I, speaking of Copernicus, I watched the entire Cosmo series with my son when it was on, and you hear about all these great thinkers and all these great approaches and all these different. And I, all I kept thinking to myself was, "You're bringing up Copernicus. What happened to him for speaking out?" Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it didn't work out Hello? so well for him. <laughs> yeah. But but that's I'm looking at these people. I'm like, if we have those same type of of, of thinkers, those same type of mindset approach to this, then maybe we would be a little bit closer to having it not answered, but accepted. Yeah. And I think that that's what we need to to strive for. Let's not strive for getting it answered, because it took less time to figure out how to get somebody on the moon than it's taken us to figure out how to answer the question of whether or not ghosts are real. How long have we been asking the question? How old is humanity? Right. But in terms of uh, applying the same, if we want to call it science, or some will call it pseudoscience, to this approach, uh, to to this question. If you think about it, even if it's pseudo, it's still science, right? Science is just a methodology. But uh, I'm just saying, I I know that some people out there will be like, it's not science. So I'm trying to allow for both sides of that. Uh, But in all that time... You know, we haven't had it. So maybe it's, it's, it's not about finding the answer, and it's more about getting people to just accept it and, and getting people to say, you know what? You're not going to be able to show me uh, the chemical formula that makes up a ghost. You're not going to be able to show me uh, the, the particle that makes a ghost possible. That's because it's a wave. All right, but, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you, you're not going to be able to give them that one physical item that will make them say, uh, yes, this is legit. So instead- no, but studying it, you can show how they interact with the environment. And if you want to talk about it, scientifically, we, we know that in some cases I've, I've watched this happen time and time again in my research and other researchers have noticed the same thing. That feeling of cold when a spirit, whatever it is, is supposed to be doing it getting ready to do something in physics that's known as an endothermic reaction it's drawing energy heat energy in this particular case from the from its environment to do something once that energy is drawn in and that change happens usually we're after you feel the cold a lot of times things get moved about after that object winds up being warm and that is an exothermic reaction, and that's a natural byproduct of work. Heat is a byproduct of something being moved, used, energy being transferred. Energy being transferred. So 
I can say that these paranormal events still fall within the realms of known physics and work in the way that they're supposed to in those physics. Why that's happening and what, what's causing that is still, still up for debate. You but. know what really makes it work within the realm of physics and might be easier for people to accept? If instead of something drawing that heat energy from you to be or able to manifest, well, what, what if you are the one giving it and manifesting it yourself? You know, what if it's uh, you know different than uh, you know a, a superhero with the power? You know, I can kind of do a heat blast out of my hands. What if that is what it is? Maybe it's us forming it. Hmm. Uh, don't want to get too don't want to get too out there. We're 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 taking this in places that I think are very interesting. Uh, but we'd like to hear from you as well. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Good evening. You're on WBSM Spooky South Coast. Hey Tim, what's going on? How you doing? Not too much. Uh, love the show. Figured uh, first time call. I had uh, had two questions for you. Sure. First one's uh, it's more. Uh, can I get your opinion on something? A um, couple of friends uh, and myself one night uh, about uh, maybe about a month ago decided to go check out the Freetown State Forest, and we were gonna you know take a drive through uh, Copacut Road you know up near uh, where it intersects with Bell Rock, mm-hmm. and uh, after you know. A little while decided I probably might want to save my uh, oil pan and radiator. <laughs> right. So I figured uh, instead uh, maybe mountain bike, you know, through there. And I just wanted to get your opinion if uh, you thought that that was a wise decision because uh, I've heard a lot of the uh, you know the podcasts and stuff like that, and you guys all you know the general consensus is you know uh, yeah there's fear of ghosts so on and so forth, but uh, mainly you're more fearful of uh, living people. Right. So I wanted to get your opinion on uh, if that's a wise idea or just something to avoid altogether. I think it all depends on how fast you can pedal. Oh, okay. Because well. <laughs> uh, that would be my only concern is that if you are out there and you run into an element that you don't want to uh, run into, chances are that if you're on a bike, they're still in a vehicle. True. So that's what I would be probably the most concerned about. But I think that if you went, you know, with enough people and there was enough of a group, uh, just you being there and being present would be enough to kind of keep whoever else is there uh, at bay. Okay. But I mean, I, I can tell you, you know, John Brightman was out there for us uh, for the Bridgewater Triangle show, and he's got a big what's he drive the Hummer still? And uh, I think he, he got tra- a, like a suburban or something. Yeah, he got the suburban. So he's, he's got this, you know, this big ass truck, and yeah, he like was up. He was out there on Copacut Road, and he almost lost the uh, the sidestep off of it, just oh, going geez. down that road and not going fast either. So it's. Oh, okay. uh, you know, I, I guess maybe if they do chase you, and if you guys can pedal fast enough, they'll just end up destroying their car trying to chase you anyway. Most likely. It'd be like Roscoe chasing the Dukes, you know? Where... There you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> just don't have the general lead. Um, my, my real question um, is I've you know started reading some books and stuff like that. Uh, most recently, uh, I finished um, The Demonologist. And, you know, I've been going back over um, your archives of podcasts and stuff like that. And I was kind of curious uh, a couple of things. One, I don't know that you folks have ever had uh, Lorraine Warren on. And the second thing I was uh, wondering about, which it, they seem to be a very polarizing um you know, uh, group of people, uh, people either, you know, really revere them or they have a lot of disdain for them. And um, most notably, you know, uh, 
think it was about seven months ago or so, I was re- listening to um, a blog talk radio show. And of all people, uh, I was surprised that uh, Andrea Perrin uh, didn't have really much, you know, positive things to say, especially about uh, Ed Warren. And I was just kind of curious what, you know, uh, your thoughts and feelings were, you know, on the Warrens and, you know, if you may ever have... Uh, Lorraine on the show, just because, you know, from reading uh, that demonologist, that book, there it's some pretty significant stuff. Yeah, we have, uh, from day one of this show, uh, sent out numerous invites to Lorraine to join us on the program, mm. and I think, and this is just speculation because mm-hmm. I've never really heard back, right. uh, the speculation that I have is that for some reason, her those who handle Lorraine these days, and those who set these things up for her, uh, for some reason don't want to have her come on this program, and I don't know mm. what the case, wh- why that would be, because, you know, we've never... We've never really talked disparagingly about the Warrens. When Ed passed, we did an entire special. You know, we, he passed during the week. We came in here that night and did a special recording with John yeah. Zaffis. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, I heard that it, uh, with, uh, I think that's his nephew. Yeah, and we, we yeah. had no problem, you know, talking about the impact mm-hmm. that they've made. Uh, I think a lot of what's come lately, uh, it, it, there wasn't as much backlash. And Moniz, you can probably speak to this better because you've been following the Warrens a lot longer than I. I've met them, yeah. But there wasn't as much of a backlash in the early days. Uh, they were more of a curiosity for a lot mm-hmm. of folks. A lot of the bashing has come lately because their approach is different than what is considered the modern approach of investigation. Now, as much as Ed would come in with whatever gizmos that he had, they were very mm-hmm. dependent on Lorraine's sensitivity and, and mediumship abilities. Right. And a lot of folks, Andrea is one of these people, you know, they talked about how they think that the, the Warrens come and they open a door that they don't bother to close before they leave. Mm-hmm. And I, by a door, I mean, you know, opening it up for something negative to come through. Sure, of course, yeah. So I think that that's where a lot of the backlash on her part comes. And uh, But I would love to, to talk with Lorraine about that, and I'd like to find out, you know, what's the process for you, when you would go into these cases, you know, how did you make sure that you were helping the family? And I just feel like, you know, a, a lot of it has been overblown from folks over the years too. Well, about- wouldn't I would think, uh, you know, a great way to gauge, you know, the success would be if you know the entity or whatever it was, you know, returned or not. I mean. So I would I, I can't imagine a better way to you know ascertain okay well you know that was successful this was not and um, I just uh, actually picked up and started uh, the book by uh, Ralph Sarchi um, you know I think Beware the Night or something yeah like Beware that. the Night yep yeah and he too is also um, I guess he studied under uh, Ed and Lorraine for a period of time you know at the beginning of um, his career. And I can't, you know, I wasn't able to, uh, you know, pick up any negative vibes or anything like that, you know, that he would have, you know, uh, from them. So I was just curious, you know, because like I said, it seems like some people really revere them and then other people just, you know, they almost, I think they just want to come right out and accuse them of being, you know, charlatans or, you know, something like that. Well, I do think that part of it is, and and I've been talking to Ralph for a number of years. I read Beware the Night when we first started doing this show, and I was convinced Mm -hmm. then we had to have him on. And it's been a slow process to try to get him to come on. When when the film came out last summer, Deliver Us from Evil, 
Right. I was talking with him about getting him on. His schedule got so crazy. Uh, yeah. But eventually we do have to have him because I finally got him to agree. Now I just got to hold him to it. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of that backlash comes, and I've talked about it with Ralph, with people being against the stuff that he wrote about. Some people just don't want to believe the stories that they're telling because they don't want to believe that that stuff exists. You know, I think that's to their peril, quite quite frankly. But you know, I mean, I guess to, to each their own. But uh, I think it would be uh, it would be fantastic if you guys could get uh, Ralph to come on the show. And I can imagine just from um, I picked up the uh, the Blu-ray, and uh, of course the first thing I checked out were you know all of the extras and the interviews, and mm-hmm. I could see where he he might be uh, kind of a formidable guy to uh, you know get to you know come on your show or you know something like that. He wouldn't put up with any uh, you know foolishness or something. Not that you know I think he would encounter that on any level on Spooky South Coast. So. Well, thank you for that. But he, that's kind of his, his uh, you know, that was kind of always the, the, he kept everything at an arm's length because he was worried about how it would be taken and how, because he's made such a 180-degree a turn from mm-hmm. what he was when he first got involved with these cases. And I think that he realizes that, uh, you know, not everybody is buying into that, and he realizes that not everybody realizes uh, how much of an impact this stuff will have on you. And I, I remember making inroads to try to get in touch with him. I had to, I found his co-author, Lisa Cool, and I had to go through her to have her relay messages to Ralph, and it was so, like, complex just to even find anything out back then, whereas right. now, you know, he's at least, uh, you know, I can Facebook him and he responds to me pretty quickly. Uh, but that just goes to show that, you know, it's it's been a process for him. He has to internalize all this and be able to right. accept it himself. Well, I mean, I, 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 he certainly opened himself up to, you know, a lot of, not that it would necessarily be, but scrutiny from just the movie. And, I mean, there's going to be people now trying, you know, to differentiate, well, is, you know, is the film real? Is that what happened? Or is the book? And, right. you know, how that always goes. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Did, um, did you watch the film itself after you watched the extras? I, I did. Um, and, I like I said, I've been skimming through. Um, you know the book as much as I can. I wanted to actually read the the book from uh, front to back before I watched the movie, but uh, you know curiosity got the better of me. And I did um, I did happen to uh, check out you know like those um, uh, promotional uh, videos from uh, you know the cast members and stuff. And uh, those folks were talking about you know some of the uh, the video uh, tapes that Ralph had that they watched. You know, prior to, and I, I think they were all pretty, uh, pretty terrified. <laughs> Especially, I think it's uh, Eric Bana, the uh, the the actor that uh, played Ralph. Uh, he, I don't think he could even finish it. He said he had to shut it off. So, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I saw it on on demand. I was like, oh man, I wish I had time this weekend to just like curl up and watch it. You know, I got worried when I saw that Jerry Bruckheimer was attached to it because he usually is great to cheese things up and just right. kind of you ex- ruin them. expected car crashes and explosions and transforming yeah. robots. And-, and, you know, I was kind of, you know, expecting that. But then on the other hand, you know, just from the little that I know of Ralph Sarchi and stuff like that, I, I, I wouldn't think that he would really want to lend himself to something like that. But uh, the end result was I, I thought it was a really good movie. I mean, obviously, I know not all of it is, you know, true. And I know they 
uh, one of the characters is kind of like uh, an amalgamation of, you know, other, you know, like the, some of the priests, because they said, you know, we don't want to go down the road of, you know, the Irish exorcist priest. Right. So Edgar Ramirez is kind of like, you know, a couple of different people or whatever. But, uh, no, I, I think you should definitely check it out. It was a really good film. I will do that. As long as it's not Michael Bay involved, I'm fine with it. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> definitely no Michael Bay. So I guess uh, Bruckheimer is just kind of like a, you know, a producer, you know, doesn't lend itself to uh, as much of a train wreck as, you know, you might think. Yeah, he's like, here's some money. Just make a movie. Exactly, right? Yeah. There you go. All right, well, thank you very much for the call. All right, Tim. Thanks very Have much. Have a great night. Bye-bye. And yeah, that is uh, one of the one of the cases that fascinated me right from the beginning. I, I don't know if you had a chance to read the book Moni's Beware of the Night. No, um, unfortunately. If you remember Matt Costa, I don't know if you read the book. I know it, but we got it from Justin. Remember Justin that we used to work with? Oh yeah, he was yeah. like one of the yeah. first Spooky South Coast listeners, right. and uh, he was the one. He's like, hey, you got to read this book and get this guy on. And uh, that's when we first started, you know, trying to get in touch with him. Even way back then, that was what 2006. I think the book came out in 05. So it's a long time coming. We've got to hold Ralph to it now because a lot of people have uh, been asking for him to do a lot. And he hasn't done a lot of media in relation to the movie. That was the other thing. Like, he wasn't on every single podcast. He wasn't, you know, talking it up uh, on all the late-night talk shows and all that kind of stuff. So it'd be really great to get into. I'll have to reread the book, though, in addition to watching the film. It's still right on there on my paranormal bookshelf. But it's funny. It's funny how books seem to <laughs> apportate off my uh, paranormal bookshelf. I'll go over there Welcome and I'll be like, to my world. I want this book, and it's not there anymore. Well, we, we, I mean, we were talking a little bit about your world and about uh, discussing the idea of ghosts and, and, and how we can figure it out. And, and I was going to uh, turn things over to Matt a little bit, too, about how you've always been pretty skeptical about things. You've always yep. been... Somebody, you know, I, I tend to jump on the belief wagon a little too soon, uh, and I'm getting better at it. Especially, you know, at legend trips when I'm like, all these people are looking at me, and I'm like, well, if I get excited, they're going to get excited, and then that might be some false advertising. So let's take a step back. So it kind of keeps me grounded a bit. But have you had your mind changed at all in the time that we've done? Have you seen? I guess it's shifted a little bit. But, I mean, I still haven't had, like, a full-out... Uh, Aha moment. Yeah. Not yet. What, what's probably the closest that you've had? And it could um, be a private moment that you don't want to share, and you can say that, or it could be something that's happened... I mean, we've, get, we've always gotten some, like, really interesting, like, EVP sessions, and especially on the Legend Trips events that we've gone on. Um, there's been a few experiments with uh, different groups that we've worked with um, that are kind of like out of the ordinary and uh, I guess unexplainable. I mean, it it seems like... Or hard to explain, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the... I don't don't want to say unexplainable. Yeah, because we're not not spending enough time trying to... Even if it is a ghost, that's an explanation right there. That's true. But also, like, at a Legend Trips event, we're there one night for a couple of hours. And we're just having the experience and then walking away with that experience because that's what Legend Tripping is. It's not so much about, you know, any kind of proof or any type of, uh, you know, debating a theory. But I think that part of it and part of the reason why you can't find this answer either, well, why we'll never 
get the actual full-out answer. And then I hear people say it all the time. I'm like, well, eventually, when we prove that ghosts are real, well, let's not go down that path. You know, that's like saying, like, eventually, when we have world peace and nobody's hungry and everybody has a home. <laughs> yeah. Because what you're doing is you're putting out that, you know, utopian idea, and you're not talking about the ways to get to it. You know, you're almost accepting the fact that it's going to happen eventually. And it's just a matter of waiting as opposed to working. And I think that this is one thing that you're never going to be able to just wait to have it be completely Are you saying that's uh, creating lazy investigators? I don't want to say that there's lazy investigators out there. There are investigators that are locked into a certain mindset. And if you can't adapt and you can't change the way that you do things and you can't accept different things, then you're probably not going to do justice to what it is that you're trying to do. Moniz, I'm sure that the same methodologies that you use for things have changed over time because, for one thing, you've gotten better equipment to deal with. Right. Technology's improved. Methodologies have improved. And we've learned more things uh, in the past 10 years than what we knew, you know, in the past 20 or 30. And as you learn those things... It changes the way that you start at the starting point. Correct. So now all of a sudden, you know, maybe it takes shorter to get to something. Maybe it takes longer. Maybe it just takes a different route altogether. Correct. But you're, you have to be willing to accept that it's changed. And that's why it bothers me. And this is one of those things that uh, I've gotten into a debate with people about as of lately. The idea that if Moniz and I have differing opinions on something paranormal – Moniz is right because he's been doing this for 25 years, 30 Not years, whatever. But people have this approach and they have this uh, – this is the way that people look at it. I've seen people who have said, you know, you have to trust this person and this person because they've got 30 years experience in the field. And I can tell you they're hacks. You know, anybody that it, it knows the methodology of investigation can tell you that these people are hacks. And I'm, I'm – not talking about people specifically. I'm just making up, you know, no, I got what you're saying. Amalgamation, but but they're saying because you've been in the field for 25, 30 years, and I've been in the field for oh, whatever 10 years, then we have to go with Moniz because he has the experience. Still doesn't mean a damn thing. Exactly, especially when somebody has that experience and has never wavered from the way they do things. I would take innovation over experience any day in in terms of paranormal research. Because I think that if you, if the old guard hasn't proven it and the old guard hasn't uh, come up with the answers and the definitive proof, well, then maybe these new ideas will. And they might be total crackpot ideas, but it doesn't hurt to try. Well, that's what science is all about. You come up with a theory and you try and test it. You test it by using all of the means available to you. If it means standing on your head while listening to the Star Spangled Banner backwards while you're recording your EVP, okay, try it. Hey, don't, so, make, don't make fun of what I do. But but the point is, if somebody has an idea, it doesn't hurt to try it because all you're going to do is generate data, and you put the data in with the rest of it for correlation. That's you know, what I'm saying. You look back at some of the great discoveries of our time, of, of, of the human era, and some of them were completely by accident. Some of them by people that didn't know what they were doing. You know, if, if George Washington George Washington Carver didn't mess around, we wouldn't have peanut butter. 
That's the way I look at it. And then where would we be? Where would we be as a society without peanut butter? Well, we still have jelly. Yeah, but what would be the point? Right. Have you ever had a jelly sandwich? It's terrible. Actually, yes, I have. It's terrible. It's messy. (laughs) Now we're getting all these calls and and emails and texts. About about peanut butter and jelly. About about Nutella. What about Nutella? (laughs) Nutella's so great. What about fluff? Let's not get into fluff. Because if we start talking about fluff... We're, um, we're gonna. I, all right, let's talk that's about parano- fluff. That's par- paranormal. Let's talk so. about fluff for a minute. All right. I love fluff. Do you love fluff? I don't. I don't like it. Do you like fluff, Monies? It's not bad. I like fluff. I like to put fluff in my hot chocolate. I like to make a peanut butter that's and fluff sandwich. The fluff and butter. Hmm. I like. I like to. I like to use the fluff. I always want to have a bucket of fluff in my cabinet. And now we've said it so many times. We are going to get emails from people outside of New England that are going to be like, "What the hell is I fluff? <laughs> what are you talking about? Is I it, have no is it idea." Only New England? It is. Is it really? It's right. a, ask somebody in uh, you know in Wyoming. Uh, when the last time was they had a glass of coffee milk? Oh yeah, yeah. In Jimmy's, I know. Yeah, yeah. I like Jimmy's. Do you like Jimmy's? Let's have a grinder after work. <laughs> well, that's a whole other thing. We'll get stoned walking out of here, and not, and not the good kind of stone. We'll get like rocks thrown at us uh, for talking about grinders and subs and heroes and hoagies and hoagies and grinders. All right, we have somebody on the line here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey guys, it's Steph. I figured it was you. Congratulations. Hey. Yes, congrats. Thank you. You sound out remarkably perky for a new mom. I'm. I haven't slept in probably, I don't know, over 24 hours at least. So I'm running on fumes right now. <laughs> well, uh, if you keep listening, we've got about six minutes left in the show. We're guaranteed to put you to sleep. Well, yeah, I figured I'd leave you guys alone for one week, and we're talking about peanut butter and fluff. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I figured I'd check in and say hi to you guys and let you know that Maddie's first radio show that she's ever listened to is Spooky South Coast. Well, see, now, now you've ruined her for life. I have. Now, now nothing will ever live up to the peanut butter and fluff discussion. <laughs> on right. South Coast. Well, how do you feel about fluff, I should ask you? I don't like fluff. You don't like fluff? I don't like fluff. That's crazy talk. I'm sure. I'm sure it is, but I've never really liked fluff. I'm not really a big marshmallow fan. Have you ever, uh, have you ever had just a jelly sandwich? Just a jelly sandwich? Yep. Because no. I, know, I know how you feel about peanut butter and jelly. I do love peanut butter and jelly, but I don't think I've ever had the jelly by itself. Maybe on toast. Was it, right now there are people like, this is like a paranormal show? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, most of our conversations any other time of day revolve around food. So, it would, absolutely. We talk about it quite a bit. Well, let me let me ask you, uh, and I'm sure that you heard some of the stuff that we were talking about uh, before, but we're, we're discussing the idea of you know, whether or not whether or not we will find proof and whether or not it can happen, uh, what do you think in your experiences and knowing what you know about the other side, uh, being able to perceive it better than we, do you think that there's going to be one of those moments where you can say, yes, there it is. Accept it, I, everybody. In your face, bitches. I wish there would be, personally. Um, but I tell everybody all the time, um, the other side knows a lot more than we do. And we're allowed to know this very teeny tiny little snippet that we think is this huge deal, and it's nothing compared to what they know. So it's it's always, you know, what they know and for us to find out type of thing. So I'd love for it to happen, but I honestly don't know if it ever will. Yeah, and I think that if it was going to happen, you know, the, it probably would have. I was talking with some people today because, you know, we had some paranormal people hanging out yep. at the Comic-Con about the uh, – 
current state that we're in as as mankind and whether or not this is the most open period to this. And we decided that it's not. You know, before we had all the before we had all the uh, constraints, I would say, of yep. the age of enlightenment. Before that kind of put blinders on us for a lot of things, people were more open to spiritual things. I think they were in the past more so than they are now. I think people are trying to bring it back, but in their own way. And it's not necessarily, I think, the path that it was meant to be on. Well, and I think, too, that uh, the difference now is when they do try to bring it up, they're trying to bring it up into that pigeonholed version of it. Yeah, absolutely. Or people are bringing it up and and pushing it out there just to make the the money and the the fame off of it, and that's not what it was about. Right, and and you know, you say all the time you can't really use your gifts to 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 benefit. So you know, you can't right. find out it's the lottery true. numbers. So maybe we no, can't. You can't. Maybe the more we profit off it, the more it moves away from us. It's like, very well could be. That being it's said, that being said, we'll have a Legend Trips announcement coming up soon <laughs> for people. <laughs> uh, we're going to be working on Lizzie Borden in February, and we'll be returning to Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman uh, in the spring. They actually, during the New England Legends episode that aired the other day, I got a, a message, a text from, from Bob over there, and he said, when can you guys come back? So they, awesome. they want us to come back. So, you know, you should definitely be uh, up and ready and ready to return to Legend Trips by then, I would think. I think I will be, and I'm looking forward to it because I had to miss the last one. I was in Florida. So we will uh, definitely have details for that coming up. You get some rest. I will try. And, uh, and uh, we will talk to you very soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. And give our love to the family. I will. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a great night. All right. Bye. And uh, we are just about out of time, but uh, we'll be back next Saturday for another edition of the program. You know, now that we are in November, the the pressure is off. You know, we're out of the Halloween season. So we can kind of let our hair back. We can relax. We would like to hear from you and hear what kind of topics you would like to discuss. Send us your suggestions for guests. Send us your suggestions for topics. Uh, some of the things that you would like to debate with us or talk about with us. Uh, we've got a bunch of guests that we have planned, but we can always work in what it is that you would like to hear. I've been hearing from people that listen to the show all over the world. And it's fascinating to me to talk to them about what's a ghost story like in France? What's a ghost story like in Ireland, in Belgium? It's amazing. So we can certainly look at all that and uh, so much more in the coming weeks. Uh, but if you are new to the show and you want to listen to some of the old episodes, uh, Matt was telling me that the archives are up and running on the website from 2008 to 2012. 12, yep. And plus all the latest ones are up on you, uh, on, up on uh, iTunes. And you can also get that HipCast feed from our website to get all these shows before 2008. So uh, plenty to listen to. Get cracking. Don't waste any more time. I want you to be all completely caught up by next Saturday. All 400 and something shows by next Saturday. <laughs> All right. So until then, uh, you can always join us on Twitter. If you need to get a hold of us, at SpookySC. Email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. That will get to all of us, and all of our individual emails and Twitters are up on the website as well. SpookySouthCoast.com is the place. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.